Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Today, I'm going to be chatting with a friend of ours here at CCK. She's a friend from a distance, but Julie Lowe has served our church by speaking at two of our women's conferences. Her work in the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation has served our counseling team here at CCK, and she's even provided some counseling care to a few of our members. And so we're just thankful, Julie, for how you served our church, even from afar. And so for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work at CCEF? Sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm on faculty at CCEF, and I do counseling as well. Our faculty, we do writing, speaking, uh, teachings, and counseling courses, um, and we just enjoy really ministering to the church and being available to them. So I, uh, I do a whole variety of counseling, uh, especially with women and children, and I'm known for child and maltreatment issues, issues of abuse and suffering, um, and I've, I've written a couple of books, and i happy to talk about this subject, especially. I think it's really an important one. Great. Okay. So our subject today is body image. Um, It's a pervasive issue. Many of us think about this and Julie's going to help us think about this biblically. So Julie, my first question was, what are the most common lies that we tend to believe or unhealthy ways we think about our bodies? And what do you think is contributing to these lies? Yeah, there's a lot of questions in that. So um, one of the primary themes, I'll start with that because that's where the lies start. One of the primary themes is where we find value and worth, right? And I think there lies the biggest lie, the underlying lie of body image issues is that value and worth is found in outward appearance. Um, And so we begin to to focus on that outward appearance and try to conform it based on whatever norms there are. And that's the irony, the norms are always changing, right? So um, from Genesis to Revelation to today to the end of time, um, they're, they're fluid, they're not even fixed. And so we're always searching after something that's fleeting that was never really meant to satisfy. So lie number one is, value and identity is found in appearance. I think lie number two would be um, that, well, it's always when we don't find identity in Christ, right? Um, But the lie number two would be culture will tell us. Culture um, has something good to say and something to offer us. And then we also see all around us, we buy into social media. We buy into um, the way I live my life. So body image issue, typically we think of being eating disorders. Um, However, it's it's many, many things. It's materialism, it's vanity. It is just outward appearance and what are people thinking of me? It is now social media. Women particularly are really good at this, right? We go on social media and we try to present a certain way. So again, it's this outward presentation that tells the world I'm okay, or that makes me envious or desirable to those around us. And and what a facade that is. Can you give us some biblical categories to help kind of shape the way we think about this and combat these ways of thinking, um, passages, resources? 
Yeah, I think of all the themes in scripture where you see over and over again, the Lord demonstrates that man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Um, so again, this isn't new to some degree, even the things like social media that feel more, more new to us, really it's this age old, we tend to look at outward appearance. We judge people by stat stature, by position, by attractiveness, by fame, by wealth all outward appearances of man, when God says what really matters is the heart. The second theme I see in scripture is the temporary versus the eternal. So um, there's a phrase I like to use when I'm talking about it, that we're not meant to look at the external, but the internal. And ultimately it's not even about the internal, it's about the eternal. That um, we can navel gaze too much. We can be so driven even by our, our internal character that can be void sometimes of finding identity in Christ where ultimately we live for the eternal. Um, so you see this theme, especially in Corinthians. I love second uh, Corinthians. It says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all surpassing powers of God, not of us. And he goes on to say, we fix our eyes on what is uh, unseen, not what is seen. Uh, on what is eternal, not what is temporary. And that just hits the heart of all these things that the Lord calls us to be these broken clay pots with cracks and holes that our weaknesses would demonstrate uh, the power, the, the strength of Christ. Our strengths made perfect. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Um, and so you have this really sweet turning the world upside down to say what you're living for is actually the exact opposite. I want you to be broken. I want you to be weak. I want you to be poor in spirit um, so that I will shine forth in your life. That's really helpful. Yeah, just shifting our focus from the temporary things that are fading away to the eternal. Um, but that leads really well to the next question, which was kind of thinking about beauty and health. So neither of those things are bad. They're here, something, you know, on the earth, it, they're temporary, but um, we can get so morphed in the way we think about them. I feel like we can vacillate between kind of obsessing about health, weight, beauty, aging, uh, you know, what we eat, um, or just giving up and not caring because we know we can never measure up. So how do we think about especially those two categories and walk in wisdom in regards to how we think about beauty or health. Um, what are the biblical ways we can think about those? Yeah. Our pen the pendulum tends to swing, right? We're all or nothing. And that's, that's one way I think about it is that's just an all or nothing approach. Either I'm fixated too much on it or I just give up completely. And I don't think the Lord calls us to either. I think there's, there's a stewardship principle there. And sometimes I'll hear people use the passage that um, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore honor God with your body. And I'll hear some people say, well, that's why I don't care. And I'll say, I'll hear some people say, well, that's why I do care about health and fitness, because that's exactly what we should do. But isn't it fascinating that we inadvertently are again prioritizing outward appearance? And it's not that we shouldn't be stewards of our bodies, it's not that we shouldn't be healthy or you know, I'm a, I'm a girly girl. I love perfume and makeup and dressing up. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as my value and identity is not found in that, as long as I don't uh, use it in idolatrous ways or it becomes too important in my life. And I have to trust the Lord will reveal that when that's true. And, 
And every once in a while, as women particularly, we see that when we start to see wrinkles or we start to see changes in our bodies um, or we see how fleeting beauty really can be. And we decide, am I going to pursue that? Am I going to pursue beauty for the sake of um, how it makes me feel, the worth it gives me? Or am I going to say, I'm going to do the best with what the Lord's given me. I'm going to enjoy these things rightly ordered. And there's the issue, right? It's rightly ordered. Exercise needs to be rightly ordered. Health, beauty, all these things in themselves are not bad. God's a God of beauty. You cannot look at creation and not say God loves the beautiful. Um, It's just not where value and worth is found, right? And it has to be rightly ordered. And here's probably the most important principle in all of this is to say all beauty is meant to reflect to the creator. It's a reflection back to the creator. So the moment I'm using beauty to reflect me and bring glory to me, I know I'm off course big time. So how say, you know, someone's listening and they're like, Ooh, I I'm not thinking about this rightly. Um, what are some steps you can take to kind of go along the trajectory of, of thinking about the eternal, of saying no to the idolatry of the outward appearance? How would you counsel someone as a counselor who's, who's thinking, oh, I've slipped into some of these sinful patterns. What are the steps they could take? Well, be overly simplistic the first is to repent right to just say lord i find way too much worth in this thing and how do i how do i bring it back to you how do i let go of the things of this world and really focus on you and what you're calling me to which means that i can delight in this but it becomes rightly ordered and and there's where we tend to want to come up with rules and formulas and you see people who live very stoic lives and dress very plainly that's their way of, of combating that. However, the irony in that is I still think you're making it about the outward appearance, right? And so to be able to say, Lord, I want this to be rightly ordered. And you know, my heart is prone to wander. You know, I'm prone to desire this too much. So every day, help me to be this living sacrifice that I let go of the things that consume my heart, my mind, my time, my resources, my finances, my energy. And so when do I say, I'm not going to go to the gym today because it's an act of worship. And for some people, maybe they say, I am going to go to the gym today because it's an act of worship. So you see how quick we are to want to come up with formulas to decide, well, you should or shouldn't do this. And I say, you know what? It really does start with, is my heart captured by the things that capture the heart of the Lord? And then does everything else fall in place under that? I wanted to ask too, um, so much of what you're saying applies to food. One thing I'm seeing a lot of is uh, it's so easy to see food as an enemy, you know, like, Oh, we can't eat these certain types of foods and um, obsessing over food, uh, either not eating enough or too, or eating too much. There's just so many temptations with food. And so how can we see food as the gift it is as it is and think rightly about it? Obviously a lot of what you said applies, but do you have anything specific toward food that you'd say? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. Here's a great principle. And I say this to my kids all the time that God creates, the world corrupts. God creates food, the world corrupts it. God creates sex, the world corrupts it. God creates beauty, the world corrupts it. Food is a gift. As a matter of fact, you cannot look at scripture and almost every major event in scripture surrounds celebration and feast and meals. So food 
is this is seen as God's provision, his, his way of caring for us, his way of, of blessing us and delighting us. Um, yet somehow here, culturally, we shift food to become words like taboo or evil or tempting. We use very sinful language connected with food where God uses food in ways of blessing and provision and celebration. So even our ideas of food become very skewed away from what scripture uh, models them to be. So how do we think of it and say, Lord, all things are good within reason. We have liberty to these things as long as I don't corrupt them. And am I corrupting them in the way I use them? Am I corrupting them in the way I think about them? And that's why it's really hard when you're, you're working with somebody who struggles with it, that you want to know them personally and say, in what ways are you tempted to corrupt it? And how do we fix that? How do we think well about it and live life out in a different way? I wanted to talk about you. You said you do a lot with children. And I think we know that body image issues are becoming more prevalent among young girls. And, and a lot of mothers and parents are concerned about this. We want to give our daughters um, a healthy and biblical view of their bodies. So what are you seeing going on and, and how can we as parents help our daughters and even our sons to have um, to think about this rightly? Sure. There's a couple of things that come to mind right away. And probably the most practical one is keep your girls off social media. It, it is, it's just so sad the way it's impacting our young people and us, by the way, um, we can be perfectly happy and satisfied with ourselves until we get on social media, we begin looking at other people and their lives and how they're presenting things. But it is demonstrated in research, both secular and Christian, that social media leads to anxiety, it leads to more depression and unhappiness in young girls and teens. So social media is one. The second is we cannot emphasize enough the way a mother and women around our girls model beauty and model the importance of outward appearance or the insignificance of it. So role models modeling this in healthy ways is so huge um, for our young people and, and teaching them what uh, godly self-expression looks like and how we can have utter liberty in that when again, it's rightly ordered. And that's the best way I can think of saying it, that I don't want to be all or nothing. I don't want to, uh, to make beauty evil. We, we just want to put it in its proper place and realize how fleeting it is and really how un unimportant it is in the scheme of things. And with our young people, materialism, electronics, all these things play into image, right? So I want to push on the social media thing. Um, my kids are pretty young, but you have older kids. So how have you, I mean, is it an all or nothing with social media? How have you thought through introducing that or saying no and explaining that to your kid who all their friends are doing it? <laughs> yep. It is, it is hard. And um, boy, I could go off on a tangent on this. I, it's such a wisdom issue. So what I am about to say does not mean every family has to do it the way we've chosen to do it. But I'll argue the principles behind it. So we have kept our kids off of social media almost exclusively until, you know, one of our kids is in college now. And, you know, we are introduced some social media that way. But for many reasons, one is probably primarily is I see so much more damage than good in it for our young people right now. 
Now, that's a very hard line statement to take. And I know 20 people could speak up and say, here's the ways it can be really good. And I would probably agree with you. But I think the potential struggles are far greater at this point than the good. Um, I also think it's becoming increasingly harder for young people not to be on social media when schools and youth group leaders and people almost require it in order to be in contact and to be in the know. So there's a dilemma I do see for teens and families is when it becomes a requirement to be able to access groups and people. Um, but that's still small enough that you can say, we can still limit that, we can find ways around it. So to me, the wisdom principle is to say that social media is a lot like handing the car keys to a 10 year old. You're expecting an incredible amount of maturity, self-control and knowledge to be able to handle such a big responsibility at that age and for that not to become addictive, all-consuming or an obsession in how they view themselves. So I think the principle behind it is stewardship as well. I wanna teach my kids stewardship, which is why not giving them social media until they're an adult and then they just open wide the gates is not very helpful, right? But I liken it to driving a car that just because everybody around me is, is giving the car keys to their 10 year olds doesn't mean I should give the car keys to my 10 year old. Um, why do I say 10? Because it's just a very stark example of we're giving kids social media earlier and earlier. And our reason for doing that is we're looking around us and saying, well, other families do it and the youth group leaders are doing it, and this person are doing it. So our youth group leaders, and I'm not picking on you. I'm just thinking how we are very much informed by what everybody around us is doing instead of asking the wisdom principle of, is there any real good in this? I wanted to push on thinking about young girls as they kind of go from, um, you know, I feel like when they're little, they don't think about or care about their hair or their face or their clothes, but there's a change that happens, I feel like, as you enter puberty. So I just wondered how moms can think about shepherding their girls as they go through that and helping them kind of at those really impressionable age to think about those things rightly. Um, any additional things you'd say beyond what you've already helpfully said? Yeah, I think those are sweet moments to be able to enjoy our, our girls and teach them um, hygiene and health and um, taking care of themselves and making it fun and enjoyable, not something that, uh, again, the pendulum can swing. We can make it a necessary evil and make it sound bad, or, or we can overemphasize it. Um, and so it's a stewardship principle. I just want to teach my kids to be good stewards of their bodies. Um, so I don't want them to put too much focus on it. And I don't want them to not put enough. You know, we have a running joke, especially in our home right now with four boys of it smelling like sweaty socks all the time. And I wish they cared a little bit more about their appearance. <laughs> so again, it's, it's that wisdom issue of teaching them to enjoy what is good um, as long as they don't become disordered in their value of it. So the next topic is one that we're also seeing more and more, and um, that is how we think about our bodies in relation to gender. 
Um, and so we're seeing gender confusion, even gender rejection. And I just, I can't help but think that Christians have an important role to play here for telling the world um, the good design that God has for our gender. And especially for women, how can we embrace and um, give a compelling example of, of how to understand our female bodies and our gender? Mm-hmm. I wonder if um, there are several ways to talk about this. and. All of them can feel simplistic when you don't have enough time to nuance it. But I wonder if some of that comes back as well, that we need to go back to the created thing. How did God create life to be lived? How did God create male and female? How did God create gender and sex and sexual identity? And go back to what is good and healthy and wholesome and the reasons for it. Um, Because God's not a killjoy. He he created things and he ordered the world in a certain way because he knew how it would best flourish. And anytime we go outside that, it will never deliver what it promises. And so I think the principle there is we want to woo our young people to what is good and right by talking about what is good and right. Where I think far too often we talk about the corrupted thing. We talk about the ways it's corrupted and we wait way too long instead of talking about the delights and beauty of how God intended life to be lived. Um, And when you do that, then you prepare them for how to think about uh, things when they see it corrupted or when they see it go amok or when they have friends who are struggling with gender identity and they're able to love them, but also try to understand why and how uh, we can be sometimes corrupted by the brokenness of this world. And that's a, again, I feel like that's a simplistic answer to some degree because there are people who suffer brokenness, whether it's from abuse or confusion or um, what they've been modeled in their own life. And through no fault of their own, they're struggling with some of these issues and they don't know how to think about them because they need our intervention. You're right. They need us to speak into that in ways that help them have hope and understand how God intended life to be. Uh, what what kind of conversations are you having with your daughter about being a woman and, and how can we talk to our girls about that and make them excited about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my girls are a little older now um, and they in many ways grew up not having to, to question some of that. But though now I think our kids all are, they're in um, even in Christian circles, right? They're, they're questioning it. They're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to understand why there can be 60 something different genders and ways of referring to each other and how you make sense of those things. And I always say the most important thing you can do is just talk to your kids and draw them out, ask good questions. I try really hard not to go in lecture mode with my kids, but say, tell me what 17 year old girls are thinking about these things today, or tell me what 16 year old boys are talking about when it comes to their girlfriends or pornography or um, sexual identity, you know, do kids in your school talk about these things? What are they saying about them? Do you know anybody that struggles with any of this? So what you're doing is you're, you're getting a window into their hearts and their lives just by asking really good questions. And it's so tempting to just want to shut the conversation down or tell them the right way to think rather than saying, well, what do you think about that? Well, why do you think that? Well, how did you come to that conclusion? And clearly we want to speak into it too, but I really want to give my kids the gift of thinking things through. 
um, and asking him, well, where does the Lord fall into these things? And, and how do you know you're thinking the way God thinks about these things? So we've covered a lot of ground here. And I just wondered, um, do you have resources to recommend on any of the various things we've talked about? Food, gender stuff, health, beauty, um, big picture body image, uh, scriptures that you love to go to or books or articles? Yeah, uh, well, if you go on ccef.org, we do have many resources on body image issues that you can Google. Um, there are wonderful articles. David Powelson wrote an article about body image. I think several of them actually in our journal of biblical counseling. So there's some good articles, uh, video clips, things like that through ccef.org. When it comes to issues of gender and sexual identity, Harvest uh, USA has done a really good job. They are up here in the Philadelphia area as well. They write lots of resources about that as well. You know, another resource, actually, uh, a partner uh, ministry that's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, is uh, called the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. Walt Mueller has written several books. Um, but they, they talk a lot about the college years, the teen years, and children and some of these issues that are facing kids. So I highly recommend looking them up as well. So what would you say, kind of just to tie it all up, this is a challenging topic. I think anyone who listens is going to have areas where they're like, oh, I need to tweak some of that. I need to talk to the Lord about some of these things. Um, and, and sometimes I think it can just be a discouraging battle because it can feel like it's like a lifelong, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another, but what hope do we have because of Christ as we think about these issues? Well, I mean, that, that ultimately brings me back to second Corinthians where it says, my hope is I do not have to be perfect. I don't have to be beautiful, successful. My worth is, is solely found in uh, the Lord and in eternity. That when, when we fix our eyes on the Lord, it actually makes it easier to deal with the brokenness and the world we're living in because I have hope that this is not my home. This isn't what I settle for. I don't have to just make the best of this, but there's so much more waiting for me and in store for me. So I think there's tremendous liberty. Um, thinking biblically about these issues does not restrain us. It liberates us, actually. Um, and so there's this sweetness of saying, I can be fully known and fully accepted, even with my weakness, my brokenness, my, um, my imperfections. That's great. Well, thanks so much for talking about this. Um, I'm excited for to get this out for folks to listen to. And again, thank you so much for being such a friend to our church. And um, I do recommend you can go back on our website and find Julie's talks from our women's conference. They've all been very helpful. And um, thanks again for talking to us. Thanks for having me.